And this evening, during the time of Lectio Divina, we'll be looking at the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, which is the famous passage containing the Ten Commandments. It's often said about us in our faith, you know, that God gave us the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. So we're going to see one of the chief passages of sacred scripture. There is another, there's a kind of a repetition of this in the book of Deuteronomy, but the one in Exodus is the, the central passage in many ways of the Old Testament. These words, uh, the 10 words spoken from Mount Sinai, they give us direction and guidance in life. And they are shared obviously with the Jewish people. And in fact, the people of all faiths or of no faith very often find within them a great wisdom for life. The Ten Commandments are divided into two sections, the two tablets of the law. The first three of them are relate to love of God, and the last seven relate to love of neighbor. And so we can see that the Ten Commandments um, very much respond to what our Lord himself said, speaking of those two passages, you shall love the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul, uh, that uh, is the first three of the Ten Commandments, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is the last seven. In fact, there's an early, very early papyrus or scrap of paper from ancient, ancient times in which those two, that division was put where the two different love of God and love of neighbor were very clearly made known in the prayer tradition of, of the Jewish people. And so uh, let us now pray in Lectio Divina, the section chapter 20 on the Ten Commandments. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us let go of all of those things within our lives that so distract us. Let's ask God's forgiveness for the sins which form a barrier to the pathway to our hearts that he may come within us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We listen attentively to the words of God and let go of all distractions. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or anything of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, 
you or your son or your daughter or your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. These are the words of the Lord, the 10 words, the 10 commandments. He speaks to the people. He who had rescued them, their savior, the one who had seen them in slavery, now gives them on their journey through the desert, the guidance that is more secure than a pillar of fire or a pillar of light. It is the guidance that will take them throughout life. But it is the Lord who cares for them and who loves them because he rescued them from slavery, who now rescues them not from Egypt, but from their own ego and all the bonds that come around them. The Ten Commandments, these ten words that he speaks, are a form of rescue, of liberty, of freedom, of exodus from slavery, just as much as in bringing across the, the sea and out of the bondage of Egypt was a rescuing of his people. And the rescuing comes from love. So maybe we should think about that as we look at the slavery we experience. Whenever we're caught up in the various things which the Ten Commandments speak of, he says, you shall not do this, this, or this. And sometimes we feel, but this is limiting me. But no, these things that he puts aside from us, says you shall not do them, those are the things that limit us. Just like the ego that limited Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The freedom comes from the law of the Lord that is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And the Lord who loves his people and not only brought them out of slavery in Egypt, but brought them out of slavery through the Ten Commandments. And he brings us out of slavery. And Jesus, who rescues us, for Jesus is the rescuer, when asked, what should I do? He says, keep the commandments. And here they are. So let's just enter into this meditation upon them 
and ask the Lord to help us to see them not as heavy chains that restrict us by saying no, 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 and no, but rather to see them as things which break the chains that restrict us, the things which truly enslave us and limit us. As St. Augustine famously said, our sins are like threads, so thin we do not notice them until they become like ropes, so strong we cannot break them. And these 10 commandments are there to break the bonds of slavery. Let's ask the Lord to help us to see his laws that way and to live by them. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or to serve them. He is the Lord our God. And yet in ancient times, people made various idols that they worshiped to give worship and honor and adoration to the things which are of their hands. And the prophets very often later on would write all kinds of sarcastic and satirical things about how someone takes a piece of wood and saws it and then makes it into a statue and worships it. But that's not God. We do not worship graven images, statues, things like that, or anything else. And I don't think we're often tempted to do that. Although perhaps people who don't understand our Catholic faith and look at a cathedral like this with statues everywhere would say, aha, there are their idols that they're worshiping against the Ten Commandments. However, we all know we're Catholic. We know these are just pieces of wood. That's all they are. And they aren't worshiped any more than photographs of the ones we love are worshiped in our home, but they are reminders to us of the ones we love. And we ask the Lord to help us to grow deeper in adoration for him. So we are not to have other gods before the Lord God. I don't think many of us are tempted, I don't think any of us are tempted to worship statues or idols or things like that. He speaks of things under the earth and in the earth and everything. And in some of the cultures then, they would worship snakes and animals and bulls and things like that. But what about the graven images, the gods that can occupy our hearts, which are much more subtle as temptation than the worship of a statue? the worship of success or power, anything else that takes over our heart that does not allow us to worship the Lord our God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. And yet sometimes in our lives we can have things, success, fame, wealth, health, popularity, good opinion of others, things like that. There are all kinds of more subtle idols which can occupy the space within our hearts. And yet 
Our prayer should be that so often found in some of the Eastern liturgies. To you, O Lord, my Lord and my God, the Lord God alone we worship and give our hearts to him. And so let's ask the Lord to free us from our attachments to whatever the subtle idols there may be, which are a greater temptation for us to worship than some statues or idols or things like that were in ancient times. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under, under the earth and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Free us, Lord, from the idols within our hearts. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third or fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Obviously, God isn't jealous in the sense that we can be jealous of other people. The term, the English translation is not all that clear. It means mainly that God is passionately concerned, attentive, caring about when we turn away from him and caring very much that we turn towards him. And here we have the fact that when people turn away from the Lord, breaking the commandments or worshiping themselves, because the greatest idol we can set up within our hearts is our ego, and worship and offer incense to that. Whenever we do that, that affects us, but it affects generation after generation. Think of the ways in which all the various sins and hatreds and crimes have a way of cascading down through history, either in the greater scheme of history or in families feuds that go on, famous ones, when they go on generation after generation, when the people have forgotten what the original cause was, and it just goes on and on and on. Think of nations ripped apart, where this group or that group hate one another because of something that happened a thousand years ago. This is a fact that is mentioned here in the Ten Commandments, that this kind of thing can go down through time. And yet in the prophet Ezekiel, our Lord says, of course, when it comes to personal responsibility, each of us is responsible for what we do, not for what our parents did or what our children do. But this sense of hatred and evil, the effect of evil going down, cascading down through the generations, it's a very real fact of life. I remember in the many 
reading once, I was reading a history of Ireland, since Ireland is my kind of ethnic group, and I was reading about it, and about how there were, you know, huge antagonisms between Ireland and England, often based upon some massacre, some battle or something. In fact, I remember experiencing that when I was uh, visiting Dublin once, the taxi driver was, I said, what a beautiful building. Yes, the English built it, not so good. And what a beautiful, oh, so I thought, I think the, the things were still going on. But there's a famous saying, which has a lot of wisdom in it. It could be applied to other, many, many other nationalities. It said about the problems of the past, let England remember, let Ireland forget. And you just substitute different names and you've got, I think, the same thing. So here we have, as always in the Word of God, especially here, deep insight into the iniquities and the joys, the sorrows, the realities of, of life. And God is there. But God shows mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And that is what he asks of us, not a hatred or a seeking after self-slavery. He says, free yourselves from that bondage as I freed you from bondage in Egypt, I'll free you from the bondage to the self, the sinful things that take possession of you. And yet, you know, of course, the struggle is, the difficulty we all realize, is that the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, but they had plenty of food. And although they were enslaved, it was secure. And when they got out into the desert and were liberated by the Lord God from their slavery in Egypt, a lot of them were kind of wanting to go back to the comfy security of their slavery. It was more dangerous and more liberating, but more frightening in a sense, to be out there in the desert free. And at the very end of this passage, the Lord speaks to them of that, of the freedom we must have from fear and to accept the freedom that God gives to us, showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. May I desire to free, to live freely of those chains that ensnare me and hold me down and not cling to them as secure, even though they rob me of life. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or as the pontifical blessing that's used at some occasions by bishops, blessed be the name of the Lord, both now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The name in ancient times and even today is very, very important. What parents name their children is important. All teachers know that there's a great deal of control in a class once you know the names of the students. And this is a bit of what God is talking about here. People would try to get different names of God by using them would try to control God, which is one way of taking the name of the Lord in vain using it as a way to control God, which that is not to be done. 
we often think of this as being not using bad language, and sure enough, it also, I'm sure, includes that. But it means respecting God because our name and ourself are very, very much together. This is language, and the most powerful piece of language is our name. When we hear our name, we are alert, we respond. Our name is used to communicate, sign a name on a check and money goes out of the account. And names uh, have a real significance. When I try to sign a check and people think it's actually an alcoholic drink instead of a bishop, they, you know, what can I say? I have a deep awareness of how names are significant. So, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I remember there was a society of men called the Holy Name Society, maybe there still is, which was designed to stop men from using God's name frivolously or as a curse. Uh, and that, of course, is another thing, obviously, we should not do beyond the things I've mentioned. We should think of the great section in the letter to the Philippians where it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. And that's why very often in praying the Hail Mary, when people or any other reference to the name of our Lord, we would bow the head at the name of Jesus. The name of God is so sacred that the one that is used most profoundly in the Bible was never uttered, especially around the time of our Lord. They just put different letters in there. They would say the Lord or something like that, Adonai, but they wouldn't utter the actual name out of reverence that it was so sacred. And they say that once a year, the high priest would utter the name and everyone would fall in adoration. The Jerusalem Bible, however, has put it on every page. So I'm not sure whether that doesn't maybe matter so much. But what I think it does call us to do is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We must worship God and speak of God and love God and react and interact with God with a profound reverence. And perhaps remembering the second table of the commandments, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, perhaps we can extend that. We should not use other people's names in vain, to control them, to mock them, to do anything like that. Other people, the name represents the very person. And we should treat God with reverence, and we should treat other people with reverence. And we should treat the name of all with reverence. So let's think about that and ask God's forgiveness for the times when we have not. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it.
in the instructions that come from the manufacturer on page one, book of Genesis, and here, keep holy the Sabbath day. On the seventh day, the Lord rested. There's a deep spiritual awareness in the tradition, both of the Jewish people, and the Christian tradition as well, of the importance of Sabbath. Six days of busyness, one day of Sabbath. There's a Jewish writer who speaks of the Sabbath as a palace in time. And we know the Jewish people have many different ceremonies to mark the beginning of the Sabbath and the end of the Sabbath, when it begins with sundown and ends the next day. We are so busy. On the six days of our busyness, we convince ourselves that our worthiness depends upon our productivity, our activity, our energy, our success, our work, our control, our command of what's happening. The six days of busyness, around and around and around we go. And yet we can become so absorbed in that that we do not notice the Lord God or one another. And so in the rhythm of creation, God reminds us, six days of creation, and God himself rests on the Sabbath day giving obviously God doesn't need to rest on a Sabbath day, but God rests on the Sabbath day to teach us what is taught here in this commandment. To give some time to the Lord, not to what we do, but to who we are. To be in the presence of the one we love, the Lord God and one another not always doing and owning and having, but just to be. What I am in the sight of God, that I am indeed, no more, no less. Get off the rat race and the, the wheels spinning around and just look at what's there. See reality with the perspective of divine providence. Draw a line, step over it, pause, stop, look and listen. This is wisdom. It is also, of course, a command of God. And it is a reminder to us not to be so absorbed in our own rushing around. It also is healthy uh, when we're always slightly on and never off, we can crack up after a while. Even in pagan societies, even in concentration camps, they give a break because if not, people will just not be productive anymore and be able to do the work of the busyness of the six days. But it's obviously far more than that. We need to be at peace, get perspective. And I think if there's anything our society needs, it's some Sabbath time to say, what are we doing? What is going on? Maybe we should simply call Sabbath time the day of hello. Yes, really, what's going on here? And to just be in the presence of the Lord God. Now, of course, that became somewhat distorted in ancient times around the time of our Lord where the Sabbath had so many rules and things that itself became a burden. But that's not the point of it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And we need to be attentive to it. I often think I've spent seven days of work, uh, seven days 
a week writing an essay on the Sabbath, but no. Let's pause to reflect on that. So let's just take a little time and say, Lord, help me to be less busy, to take some time. And of course, for us, it's the day of the resurrection. The seventh day, the eighth day is the day of the resurrection, which Christians use from early times. By the time of the book of the apocalypse, we have a reference to the Lord's day, which is the day we use as Sabbath. But let us spend Sabbath time every week, every day, some time of shalom and of peace, and every year. I try to do that, and it's very wise advice from Bishop Sheen that speaks of spending, for priests at least, he recommends to others to do something similar, an hour every day in adoration before the Lord, just shut off other stuff and be with the Lord. And we should spend a day a week with family, be there. How often we run in and out and never meet one another. And then it's a good idea to make a retreat. I just got back from one last week, just a few days ago actually. I went and I go to a monastery twice a year just to disconnect and be with the Lord. Let's try to do that. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Honor your father and your mother. Elsewhere in the scriptures it speaks of, especially in a time when there was very little social assistance in other things, to take care of them in their old age because the parents totally and to a great degree today depend upon their children. Honor your father and your mother. One ancient Christian writer says, when your eyes first opened, it was your father and your mother you saw. They've been there from the start. So we should have gratitude towards our parents for the life they have given us and the way they have brought us up. Fathers and mothers have a very special role in sacred scripture and in our life and our tradition. They're able to bless their children. And the blessing especially the last blessing of the parents is a profoundly important thing. It's one ancient writer said, it's much more important than wealth or fame or anything else is the blessing of your father and of your mother too. Which is why I bless people because I'm the spiritual father of this community. But we honor our father and our mother. And there's even a Unlike the other commandments, there's a little promise attached, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Later on in the scriptures it says, in the book of Sirach, I think it is, even if as they get older and more frail, maybe the mind begins to wander and gets more difficult, remember your parents. And of course, the love of parents for their children is at the foundation of all. It does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a family. And we must pray especially also for any families that are struggling in any way. Honor your father, honor your mother. Fathers and mothers both are profoundly important in the life of the family.
And so let's meditate upon that and ask God's blessing on our own families. Perhaps our parents are still alive or perhaps they have died. Perhaps we ourselves are parents or know of people we know who may be facing some particular struggle in their family or whatever. Let's honor our parents that our days may be long in the land which the Lord your God will give. You shall not kill. That's it. You shall not kill. There's no explanation around it. It's so obvious. You shall not kill. First, do no harm. That's the first thing that the medical profession has is they think, don't harm people. You shall not kill. You shall not kill. Four words. So simple, so obvious to Jewish, Christian, Muslim, atheist. One would think so, wouldn't one? I just this afternoon came from a mass where I was celebrating mass for the 40 days for life. Who people who pray in a very prayerful vigil, pray to rescue little children from being killed. That's at one end of the spectrum of life, the journey. And then in the middle, we have violence in families, family violence in the streets. And we look around the world and we see such, so many people being killed. And then at the end, we see people as they are dying. It does not say you shall not kill another person. It says you shall not kill because our life is a gift of God. And I might say in Canada, this might be a good idea for people to remember, you shall not force other people to kill or kick them out of their profession if they don't. That's Ontario. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I, it's, it's astonishing. You shall not kill. You shall not force other people to kill. It's kind of obvious you would think. We all die. It comes to us all. And as we're dying, we do need to love and honor those who are dying. We pray the Lord to help us and help others to help us with whatever assistance we need as we're dying, especially painkillers sometimes for some people, but also love and care. That's obvious but you shall not kill. Maybe we just need to keep thinking and repeating it, but I don't think even that will not penetrate sometimes. So maybe we just pray and think about it right now and pray that people will know that there are many ways of helping people and we need to do it all the time. But you shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. Again, we have another one of the negative commandments. Some of them were positive. You shall worship God. You shall honor your mother and father. But these series of negative commandments of saying, you shall not commit adultery, it's not ever 
acceptable. All the negative commandments, like you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, are very complete and clear and absolute. You shall not commit adultery. It is a sin of lust, perhaps, but it's also a sin of injustice against several people. It's a sin of ego. It's so many, it breaks up families. It's astonishing we have in our society technological communication systems and programs and things to help people commit adultery. I mean, really. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? So it's kind of clear, you shall not commit adultery and any other sins they say related to this sixth commandment are just not, they're not life-giving, to put it mildly. You shall not steal. Remember the old saying, what's mine is mine and what's yours is negotiable. No, no. Now, you know, it, it's obvious. We, we shouldn't be stealing from other people. We're showing a kind of a dominance over them. And a lot of these things do that too. Killing certainly does. Adultery can. It can be more a matter of dominance than of lust. Any of these sins of the flesh like that and stealing can as well. You also shouldn't steal from people things like their good name. Take from them their house, their property, their bank account or whatever, but also things like a person's good name should not be stolen from them. Nowadays you have people stealing people's identity, you know, through identity theft. Well, we just shouldn't be doing that. I mean, this isn't rocket science, as they say, we shouldn't do it. And it may not be, I remember reading about, um, an abbot once wrote a book, I forget who it was even now, I, I once read a book on memory, I can't recall who wrote it, but um, anyway, somebody wrote once that it's not just a matter of a multi-millionaire stealing a, you know, a billion dollars or something. He said um, a monk or a person with no money, let's say, could also steal a little thing and it could be just as much, you know. It's, it's the fundamental point at issue. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Language, lips of language. Bear false witness, lie in other words. You shall not use language wrongly. Language is a gift, a precious gift. It's an astonishing gift. We think through language, we communicate through language, we understand through language, we build bonds of trust through the most important piece of language, our name, and we, we need to trust one another that what we say is in touch with reality, that we're not trying to deceive. We may also use language inadvertently in a way that misinforms, just we don't know any better. But this is talking, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we can do it all the time and all these little white lies we can get caught up in, but we can do it in profoundly difficult and evil ways. One way again in touch with the thou shalt not kill is when we cover over reality with a veil of lies. We should, 
one thing is, you know, one good thing is, would, your, would you do this if your mother knew you're doing it? Another version is, would you do what you're doing if it appeared on the front page of the newspaper? Well, if you're willing to have your mother know you're doing it and it's on the front page of the newspaper, it's probably okay. It's a good test for people or anything. So would you do it if you described what you're doing to someone in accurate language? You should be, we should be happy to do that. That's a good test of whether what we're doing is right or wrong. So in our, there's even a, in a grim sense, hilarious prologue to the report of the Senate House of Commons Committee on Euthanasia, where they debate the issue. They don't want to use euthanasia. No, no, no. Sounds too harsh. A little too harsh. Don't want to use mercy killing, whatever, you, a few other terms they had. Sounds too harsh. Yes, it does, because the thing they're describing accurately is, it is. So they use the term, I mean, it's almost astonishing, but it's true. They use the term when you stick the needle in and kill another person, medical assistance in dying. Medical, that sounds very nice, doesn't it? And in fact, we're all in favor of medical assistance in dying in the sense that when a person, when we're dying, and if we are in pain, let's say, we hope people will give us medical assistance. And then if that's what they're describing, that's what it is, and that's a good thing. But to use the words, sweet words of a good thing to veil a bad thing is you shall not bear false witness. And so I think if we can strip away euphemisms and false language, and if we're proud of what we're doing, let's say, say what it is. And if we're still proud of what we're doing, well, maybe that's a, that's a good test. But if we find for anything we do that I have to say, well, I didn't lie, I misspoke myself. What? <laughs> Whenever we start weaving, oh, what a, tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive because our lies lead to further complications and stuff. Oh, what a tangled web we weave and what a deadly web we weave when we use the gift of language not to reveal, to comfort, to illuminate, to help, but to cover, to hide. It's pretty clear, one would hope. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. It's not just the action, but if we're always thinking of other people's property or other people that I am want that, we've already, as the Lord said about Lust, we've already lusting in the heart. I mean, it's, it, the action is there, but we shouldn't be always looking this way and that. The same with jealousy. You know, we're always looking at someone's success. And, oh, look at this. I mean, we really have more to do in our life. I mean, we, there's not time is not limitless. And if we spend our time coveting people's properties or whatever they have, it's a waste of time. And it can lead to doing worse we think of David on the, the rooftop looking at Bathsheba 
and then leading to adultery, to murder, to other things. So we should just not do that. And that's a profound insight, wisdom that the Lord gives us. Now, when all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear. You speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. This is reality breaking in like this. Oh, the thunder and the lightning, but the thunder and the lightning in the heart. When this, these words illuminate, they pull over the rock and you see what's crawling underneath and that fills pe people with, huh. So they're trembling and the fact of the so much reality, sometimes it's hard to bear that much reality. Huh? But Moses says, be not afraid, just like our Lord does coming out of the storm. Do not be afraid. The Lord God is showing you all this so clearly so that you do not sin and become enslaved. They sometimes say, you know, the, the surgeon's knife cuts to heal. And that's what God is doing. He may cut to heal. And sometimes, you know, the, the worst words, like, and you shall not bear false witness. If, um, if someone says to us something just to make us feel happy, happy, when actually there's a problem we have to deal with, that's, that's not what we want. The, the revelation of reality can be frightening but it allows us then to respond to reality. And that's what we all need to do. It's extremely comfortable driving down the 401 on the highway with a blanket over the windshield. It makes it cozy, but it's very dangerous. Pull off the blanket and say, ah, what's out there? But better to see that and be safe than to be cocooned in illusion. Illusion's the killer. That's why false language, medical assistance and dying is literally a killer. And so we need to look what it is, what's there. And then God will give us the strength to deal with it. And we need to help one another to deal with it. It's like when we have a sickness, if the doctor, if I have some deadly disease and the doctor says, have a nice day, you're okay. Well, I'd be happy for a day until I find out that I you know, dropped dead or something. The better to have the doctor say, hate to tell you, but you've got such and such a disease, but this is what we'll do about it. Or I'm afraid you can't do anything about it, in which case we have to cope with it. But at least we know what it is. Reality bats last. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children through the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant, or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that the fear of him may be before your eyes, that you may not sin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. 